Turn to the book of Romans in chapter 13. Romans in chapter 13. This morning we were looking at a passage of prophecy which was written before the Lord Jesus came. And tonight we're looking at something which is uh, uh, suggestive of the subject of prophecy after Jesus came. We're looking tonight at Romans chapter 13 verses 11 to 14. And the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says this, Romans 13, 11, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, but in, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. I wonder if you've ever heard of a book called To Hell and Back. It's a book written by Dr. Morris Rawlings, who was a man who was investigating uh, so-called near-death experiences. And he went around as a doctor uh, investigating people who claimed to have had these experiences where uh, they'd been apparently alive after they had died, clinically died, and investigated uh, the different people's experiences and claims. And in the process of doing this, he came across a man who we'll call Fred. His name is Fred. And this man had had a heart attack and had uh, had something of a near-death experience. But that wasn't the thing that captivated Dr. Rawlings when he spoke to him. When he spoke to him, Fred put him on his spot and he said this, Do you know what you think about when your next breath may be your last, when you do not know if you will live another hour. Dr. Rawlings didn't know the answer to that question, but Fred was going to tell him anyway. He said, when your back is to the wall, the object of life is no longer money. The object, surprisingly enough, is time. Immediately the question becomes, not how much money do I have left, but how much time do I have left? And then he looked at Dr. Rawlings and said, what will you do with each precious moment you have left? And that stayed with the doctor even after that interview uh, with that gentleman. And I want to say tonight, I think that's a very sobering and very uh, good thing for us to consider. How much time do we have left? And what will we do with the time that we have left? That's a good question for all of us, for our own health and lives to consider. In the Psalms, Moses uh, prayed in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days aright so that we may live rightly before God. But it's also a question we should ask spiritually about the state of the world and where we are in world history. 
because world history is going somewhere. It's not randomly happening, uh, unfolding without any plan. It is heading towards a climax. It is heading ultimately towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who prophesied himself that he would return at his second coming and who the Bible says will return again, not as a baby in a manger, but as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Are we ready for the coming of the Lord? And do we understand the last days of the world and where the heading, where the earth is heading? We need to be Christians who are watching and waiting. Those two things together. I love the story of the fisherman who was out at sea on his first trip out at sea. It was very nerve-wracking going so far away from shore that uh, you could no longer see land. <laughs> and away fishing uh, out with the team for several days out on the sea. And when he came back, uh, all the young fishermen, all their wives were all standing on the, do- on the dock waiting for the boat to come in. Everyone except his wife. And he felt a bit sad about that as they all got their hugs and kisses off their wives as they they came back in. He went off up the hill and went back into the house. And as soon as he went into the house, his young wife came and threw her arms around him. She said, oh, I've been waiting for you to come back. And he said, thank you. He said, but he said, you know what? It would have been lovely if you could have been watching as well. Because that would have meant so much to him. And you know, our Saviour wants us not only to be waiting for his coming, he wants us to be watching for his coming as well. And he calls us in the scriptures, in Mark 13 and other places, to watch. What I say to you now, I say to you all, to watch. And this is what this passage of scripture, I believe, is calling us to do. To understand the day and age in which we're living in and to live our life accordingly. It comes in the last part of the book of Romans, which is Paul's great theological uh, letter on the work of salvation. And having explained how we're saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, what we call justification by faith, trusting in Christ alone for being made right by God. He now says how this works out in the Christian life. And a part of that is understanding God's program for the last days. So I want us to see tonight three things from this passage of scripture on this great subject. Someone has said, if you want to know what happened yesterday, read the newspaper. If you want to know what happened today, listen to the evening news. If you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, read the Bible. (laughs) And that's exactly true. In this passage of scripture, we see three things that we're told to understand. We're told to understand, first of all, the hour that is upon us. Have a look at verse 11. Paul says, and do this, that's the uh, practical teaching he's been given about Christian living and in in the verses immediately before it, loving each other uh, as the Lord loves us. He says, do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Do this knowing the time, understanding the time. You know, it's amazing how in creation, God has made creatures to know time. You know, it's amazing you see in in different animals how they are able to detect the different seasons. You know, birds have a programming in their head that tells them when it's the right time of the year to start migrating. Isn't that amazing? You know, they don't have a calendar like I do on my wall that says, right, I've got to remember to do that this time next week. 
Their little brains are programmed by the creator to know the changes of the climate and they know the times and the hours that are upon them. Fawn and deer have the same sort of thing and they know when it's time for them to head higher up the mountains to be safer from the hunters. Eels in the sea have an amazing ability to know when it's time for eels that are spread all over the ocean to move into the Gulf Stream and head to what's called the Sargasso Sea, where they gather to spawn. Isn't that amazing? Scattered all over the ocean. Somehow they all know the right time. And there are hunters today that swear that grouse and other fowl now know when it's the hunting season. <laughs> they know when it's time to get out of the way. In creation, man's, uh, animals seem to know the times and the seasons that are upon them. And in the Bible, God calls us as his people to know the time, to understand the times. And there are times and seasons in God's plans. God has revealed in the Bible many things to do with his program of time. You know, way back in the beginning of Genesis, God said to Abraham, Know this, that your descendants will go down into Egypt and for 400 years they will be slaves in bondage there. Until the time I call them out. God was saying to Abraham, there's a time frame here for something that's going to happen to your descendants. And the remarkable thing is, when we read in the book of Exodus about when the Exodus happened and the children of Israel came up to, to, out of Egypt, do you know what it says? On that day, on that very day, God brought his armies out of Egypt. And you say, well, what day? The 400 years, the time. It had come to an end that God had planned for the children of Israel in Egypt. Time is not happenstance to our God. He's carefully mapped out the times and the season. What does it say in Ecclesiastes? To every season, everything under heaven, there is a time and a season. And that's so in the plan of God. Uh, in the uh, uh, book of Daniel, Daniel was shown the plans of the history of the nations and the prophetic seasons that the earth would pass through since the fall of the last Jewish king. And he was shown visions, two visions especially in chapter 2 and chapter 7, that give us what we call the times of the Gentiles. That's a time frame in God's program. And the Lord Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's what he said in Luke 21. And that, pass, that time frame is still with us today. We don't have a Jewish king uh, on the throne of Israel and the one who is the Messiah. Till Jesus comes back, it's the times of the Gentiles. Daniel was also given another vision when he was given a visitation by the angel Gabriel who came in Daniel 9. And at the end, after Daniel had been praying about the people of God being able to go back to their land, God gave a vision to the angel Gabriel to deliver to Daniel. And he said, I want you to know this. And he gave the what's called the 70 weeks prophecy. Now, it doesn't mean weeks of seven days it means weeks of years because the hebrews had both and uh, it's a period of time of 490 years and the time marker has a division in them right at the end seven years before it comes to an end 483 years the messiah was going to be cut off but not for himself and then there'd be a gap until the last seven years will be fulfilled 
Do you know where we are right now? We're in that gap. The Messiah has come. He came on the very day. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and he wept over Jerusalem because they hadn't received him as their king. And he said, if only you had known this day, what would have made you peace? But you didn't know the hour of your visitation. And the Lord rebuked them because they didn't know God's time and God's program. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to him demanding a sign. And he said, you know how to read the weather. You see the red sky and you say it's going to be a stormy day or whatever. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. You know how to read the signs of the weather, but you do not know how to read the signs of the times. And he expected them to understand the hour of his visitation to them. So God has hours and seasons in his program and he expects his people to understand those just as creation understands the seasons that are upon them. And this verse here instructs us to be informed. It says, do this knowing the time. Understand the time that is upon us. And I want to say, dear friends, as as Christians today, we need to know the hour that is upon us. The Bible tells us it is the last days. It's been the last days, said Peter, since, since the Lord Jesus came. 1 Peter 1 verse 20. And also in Acts chapter 2. In these last days, God has said, sent his son. We're in the last phase ever since Jesus came of God's program. But the Apostle John went even further. In 1 John 2.18, he says, this is the last hour. We're really getting near the end. And now, in this stage in history, we are really close to the end. And we're going to be talking about that as as we go on. And we need to identify the hour that is upon us. How can we identify the hour that is upon us? I want to give you three clues that we can identify that we're moving towards the last days in the days that we're looking at now. First of all, the scriptures teach us that we're in the last days, as I've mentioned. But also the signs testify that we're in the last days. If you read your newspaper as well as your Bible, you will see the two are looking very alike. The back pages of your Bible look very much like the front pages of your newspaper. And we're seeing the things that scripture prophesied start to happen in the world. We've seen the nation of Israel come back to her land in 1948. Israel is called in prophecy the super sign. Because as long as Israel wasn't in the land, the things that Jesus prophesied for his return in Matthew 24 could never happen. Because it all centred on Israel being back in the land and Jerusalem being the capital. Where in 1948, Israel went back into the land and the world was shaken. A nation that had been eradicated for 2,000 years off the map for the first time in history came back on the map. It was an act of God. A nation will be born in a day, says Isaiah. And it was when the UN voted in the coming, uh, 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 the establishment of the nation of Israel. When Jerusalem was established as the capital, that moved us even closer. Because the capital had to be in place uh, for some of those other prophecies in Matthew 24 to be fulfilled. And not only that, the prophecies in Ezekiel and in Matthew also talked about the mountains of Israel being in the hands of the Lord's people. 
That took place in 1973 with the uh, Yom Kippur War when Israel won back the Golan Heights. So Israel is a sign that we're moving on towards the last days. Let's think of some other signs. What about technology? You know, Daniel 12 verse 4 tells us in the last days that knowledge shall increase and travel shall increase. Those are two signs. And you know what? For thousands of years, knowledge increased every 200 years. Because that's how slow printing took and distribution of books. Now we have the internet and knowledge is being doubled. You know there's uh, something like 6,000 videos are uploaded on YouTube every day. And around the world, knowledge is being increased rapidly all the time. University students and professors are able to share information with each other at a click of a button around the world. And that, in company, uh, in company with Bible knowledge, which is increasing, is evidence that we are seeing the signs of the time. Travel, you know, up until uh, last century, most people could only travel 30 miles an hour. The speed you could walk or ride a horse or catch a train if you were, if you were in the day age of trains. Now... You can drive as fast as Josh and get here from Gloucester <laughs> in uh, however long it took Josh to get here. Uh, you know, you can, you, you can travel around the world in a super jet and uh, it's amazing. We're talking about hypersonic missiles on the news these days. You know, that's faster than supersonic. Supersonic is when it goes faster than the speed of sound. Hypersonic is faster than that. I saw a photograph of a jet bursting the sound barrier once, a hypersonic jet. And on, you can't see it with the eye, but when you see the jet going through the sound, what, visibly, when it breaks the sound barrier, on the photo, what you get is an egg. You see the shockwave come out as it travels so fast. Heard about a jet that is now so fast on the trial, when it launched a missile, it overtook the missile, and unfortunately the missile locked its heat seeker onto the back of the jet and brought the jet down in the training exercise. Crazy. We're living in days when those signs are being fulfilled. 2 Timothy chapter 3 warns us in the last days there will be false teachers in the church. I ask the Christians, are there false teachers in the church today? Yeah, definitely. And we could go on. The signs testify that we're in the last days. What we're seeing happen out in Ukraine, I believe, is a sign. We're seeing wars with Russia engaged. We've had a, a global pandemic. Now, in the past, people would have said, well, you know, pandemics, that's because they had poor hygiene and they didn't have very good medicine and they didn't have good communication about what to do. There's no excuses for that now. We've had a global pandemic. A sign that Jesus is coming. So the signs testify that we're in the last days. And the saints, if you listen to the saints, they will tell you we're in the last days too. You know what? There's something inside the Christian that says, my Lord is coming soon. Do you know what? I, I don't know if it's the same with other married couples, but I can often tell when my wife is coming home. She goes to town shopping and she goes, uh, uh, you know, spending the money and uh, I barely get home shekels as fast as I can. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I, I somehow, sometimes I get the feeling, you know, she's coming home soon. I put the kettle on and I, I've sometimes got it right. There's a cup of tea waiting for her, brownie points. 
And you know what? Spiritually speaking, the saints of God who are walking with the Lord, I meet Christians and they say, do you know, do you believe the Lord's coming? I believe the Lord's coming. There's something inside that they feel he's coming soon. So we ought to be aware of the hour that is upon us and take seriously the need to become Christians and to turn to the Lord and live for him. Do you know, in 1980, there was uh, a, an old man by the name of Harry Truman, not uh, the uh, president, the, the former president of America, but his name was Harry Truman, and he lived uh, near Spirit Lake uh, up in Canada. Now, I've been to Spirit Lake. It's a very beautiful place, but I went a long time after 1980. And he lived uh, at Spirit Lake on, uh, up in North uh, America. And in... May that year, the mountain nearby, called Mount St. Helens, started to smoke and let out plumes of smoke. Seismologists were in the area and they were sending out warnings to people. We believe there's going to be a volcanic eruption. We strongly recommend that you move away from this area. And so people started to move away. As it got more and more unsettled at Mount St. Helens, the rangers started driving around in their, in their jeeps, removing tourists and residents and having vehicles with loudspeakers saying, warning, warning, get out. And Harry Truman heard all this. He heard it on the news. It was on the radio saying, if you live in the area near Mount St. Helens, please move. But he didn't. And in fact, he was stubborn. And he went on the news and he said, old Harry has lived here all his life and the mountain will be good to Harry. His daughter phoned up and pleaded with him that he leave. But he wouldn't. He insisted he knew better. Then on the 18th of May, 1980, he started his day going out. He planted some petunias outside in his garden. He fed his 16 cats and he started cooking his bacon and eggs. And at 8.31, the explosion of Mount St. Helens sent out a shockwave so fast that it flattened his house uh, and uh, everything else for 150 square miles. Did he, in his last seconds, realise I was wrong? He might well have done he realised, he must have realised, I've been ignoring the signs and the warnings. We as Christians can't fail to do the same. The hour that is upon us is an hour that's prophesied and we need to consider the signs and what the saints say and what the scriptures teach so we're living right for the Lord. The second thing I want you to see here is the hope that's before us. And this is what Paul goes on to say. He says, do this knowing the time that it is high time to awaken out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The, day, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. When the Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words, he wasn't writing words to make us despair he was writing words to encourage us. You know, many people read the, the things of, that are, are planned to happen in Bible prophecy and they get unsettled. 
They don't like to read about it. I remember talking to a gentleman once on a train uh, who was a Christian, and he heard that I was interested in Bible prophecy, and we had a good discussion. He said, oh, it's a fresh breath of fresh air to talk about it. And he said, I can't talk about it at home. He said, my wife shuts up every time we talk about it. She gets scared. She doesn't want to talk about it anymore. So I can never talk about it to anybody. Now, that isn't how God wants us to be as we think about the end times. Because for the Christian, the future is not something terrifying, it's something glorious and wonderful. We have a hope that is before us. And Paul says that here in verse 11. He says to us, it's time to wake up out of our sleep. In other words, Christians, stop being apathetic, stop being sleepy about the Lord's return and wake up to these realities. Because he says, now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And he's saying that our salvation is coming to us. Now, you may be surprised uh, to hear that because you think, well, what do you mean my salvation is on its way? I've been saved. I became a Christian back in 1981 or whenever it was. And, uh, you know, I've been saved ever since that. Well, dear Christian friend, yes, you have been saved from the penalty of sin the moment you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you rested in Christ, your sins were washed away. You were no longer under judgment. In John 5 verse 24, you passed from death to life. You were saved from the penalty of sin. But you haven't yet been saved from the presence of sin. And you haven't yet been saved from the power of sin. Those two things are still with us in the world. But the Lord Jesus Christ is coming for his church and when he takes his church out of this world, he is going to save us from those two things. And this is reason for great hope. This is reason to wake up out of our sleep because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, logically, that's so because time is moving on. But even more, our hope should be anticipated when we see and know the time and see the signs that are around us. Our salvation is getting nearer. That should give us hope. But it also should give us hope because the world is going to be subdued under the Lord Jesus Christ and brought out of its evil day. If you look in verse 12, it says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. You know, at the moment, this world is in a night season. It's in a dark season. We're in days of darkness. I don't mean the type of weather we have outside, it's a beautiful day. But our world is a dark world. And there's evil in the world. And that's because the Lord Jesus Christ is not reigning on earth as he is in heaven in the world. One day he's going to come and he's going to reign on the earth. He's going to sit on David's throne. And as we were talking about this morning, he will bring justice and truth into the world. So we're still living in the night. But Paul gives us an encouraging message of hope that's before us. He says the night is far spent. The day is at hand. We're moving fast towards the day when this world will become, as it says in Revelation 11.15, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That ought to give us great hope. When we're watching the news, when we're seeing the things that are going to happen in the world, we should realise the hope that is before us and be encouraged. We're in the countdown to the showdown. The Lord is coming. He's going to put things right. And we need to know uh, that, that, it, that we're ready with him for when 
he returns. I like the old saints. I like reading books uh, by old men of God from the past. And Dr. Horatius Boner, he was one of the men, there were two, two, two great men of God, Andrew Bonner and Horatius Bonner. And they were great Christian writers uh, back in the Victorian era. And uh, every morning Horatius Bonner would wake up and he'd pull the curtains open and his opening prayer would be, Lord, perhaps today, perhaps today you're coming. And then at night time, he'd go to bed and he'd close the way. He didn't come today, Lord. And he'd close the curtain and he said, but Lord, perhaps tonight. <laughs> and he lived in that expectation of the hope of the Lord's return. I want to encourage you. Do you do that? Do you do that? Are you living with that hope before you? Our salvation is getting closer. This is good news. The world is going to be rescued from the evil it's in. That is surely good news. The question is whether or not you know Christ as your saviour and lord. You know, when uh, our children were young, we used to go around the car boot sales, and on one occasion, for pocket money prices, you can buy toys that are much more expensive because, of course, they're second-hand. And on one occasion, uh, I remember my son bought a giant magnet, one of these big red things, you know? And it was great. This magnet had the pulling power to pick things up, you know? And uh, I remember all sorts of stuff going on with that. Uh, But... You know, it's a great visual aid to show children what is going to happen. Because what you do is you get a load of paper clips and a load of different pieces of metal and you put them down on the table and you bring the magnet across it and the things that are of the same nature as the magnet, they fly up and they grab the magnet. The things like bottle tops, milk bottle tops and stuff, they're not the same nature as the magnet, so they stay. And that's like the Lord Jesus. One day he's going to come. And those who are his people, born again of his spirit, he's going to take up to be with him. And they will be safe with the Lord. Do you know him as your saviour? Has he made you his own? Have you trusted in Christ? If you've not yet done so, do so. And this hope can be yours as well as you look to the future. Thirdly and finally, we see... Because we're understanding the last days, we need to understand the, hour, the holiness that is required of us. And this is where Paul brings more application in verse 12. He says, therefore. And when you see the word therefore, you've got to understand what it's there for. It's a joining word. It sets everything that's passed as the argument for what is now to be acted on in the future. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. A lot of people have the idea that if uh, we're moving towards the last days, then we can do whatever you like. There was an old uh, song back in the 70s that that said this, if you're going to do anything, do it quick, because the world is coming to an end. And the suggestion was, if you've got some sin you want to do, you can get away with it, because there won't be an accountability. The world won't be here to, to... to be accountable to well that's not how the christian lives with the christian knowing the lord is coming that then becomes his incentive to live a holier life for the lord and to try and up his game spiritually uh, in his christian living and paul calls us to think about our walks uh, sorry our works our wardrobe and our walk 
Let's think about our works, as he says in verse 12. Let's cast off the works of darkness. Uh, And the works of darkness here are the acts of sin that we're sometimes engaged in. Cast them off, says Paul. Lay them aside. Lay aside the garments that are stained by sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb, said the hymn. And we're to turn away from sin uh, as we see the coming of the Lord drawing nearer. We're to cast off the temptations and the sins that would bring us down and uh, not act like the people of the night and be people of the day instead. Then he says, consider your wardrobe, because in verse 12 he goes on and he says, and let us put on the armour of light. Now what is the armour of light? The armour of light is the Christian spiritual armour. Uh, Paul writes about this, especially in Ephesians chapter 6. And the best dressed man spiritually is the man who wears the armour of God. And he is dressed for spiritual battle. And we won't go into all the pieces of the armour here tonight. But just as a soldier in the Roman army had an, uh, an armour for protecting him for warfare, so the Christian has spiritual doctrines which are truths that help him stand against the attacks of the devil. The helmet of salvation, your salvation is secure in Christ. The breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, and so on. And these doctrines are the armour of light. It's called the armour of light, says uh, one of the reformers, because that suggests its origin is heavenly, and it brings out light living, golden uh, living, and good works. And we need to put on that spiritual wardrobe of the armour of light. The last days are going to be days of spiritual conflict. If you thought the last days were going to be easier, I'm sorry, I'm going to disappoint you. They're going to be harder. And Christians in this room are going to have battles to fight if you're not fighting them already. I think a lot of you are. So put on the armour of light and be ready for the battle. But he also says about our walk in verse 13, he says, let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and in envy. Our walk here is our Christian pace, how we live the Christian life. And we're to walk away from sin and to walk in holiness. And the things he talks about here are are sexual sins and social sins. Uh, And the revelry and the drunkenness and the lewdness and lust. That probably Paul had in mind here, the Exodus 32, the story of Moses coming down the mountain and finding the people with the golden calf. And it said they all rose up to play. Now, it doesn't mean they were playing Catan. It means they were sinning sexually. And the people were living uh, in like drunken orgies and that sort of stuff. And... Just in the same way, when the Lord Jesus comes back, I'm afraid he's going to find a world that's doing those same things. We need to make sure we're not living those lives as well. God help us to distance ourselves. But also social sins, not in strife and envy. It's easy to say, well, I don't do those terrible sexual things and I don't go drinking and get drunk every night. But you still have envy in your heart. He's married to a prettier lady than I am. She is married to somebody who's more handsome than my husband is. Or, you know, we have differences that rub each other up the wrong way and we clash and and so on. Those social sins, the Lord sees in our hearts and we need to put those aside and uh, not let that be a part of our walk. But he says in verse 14, put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. He calls for an exchange. Instead of making ready for sin, he says, make ready for righteousness by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we put on the Lord Jesus Christ? We put him on by imputation and impartation. Imputation is when the righteousness of Christ is put to your account when you become a Christian. It's like you're robed in the righteousness of Christ. You trust in the Lord. But impartation is when his righteousness is worked out and is seen in your life. And the holiness starts to show. Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I like Brian Adams. Brian Adams has a song that says, the only thing that looks good on me is you. (laughs) And I think about that with the Lord Jesus. The only thing that looks good on us is the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ and let the world see him rather than making provision for the flesh. So there's holiness that is required of us. Stephen Alford wrote a little hymn that said this, Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. That's a great hymn. That's a great prayer, isn't it? And each one of us who are the Lord's people could be praying that as we go into this week, understanding the times that are ahead of us. So with these things in mind, let's be people who understand the times. Let's Know the hour that is upon us. We're moving very fast towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All shows us that and we need to be ready. Let's be aware of the hope that is before us. Let's not be despondent about these things. Let's be upbeat. Jesus said when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your heads. Not hang down, lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. This is good news. Christ your saviour is coming. And let us realise the holiness that is required of us as we wait for the coming of the Lord. Even so, come Lord Jesus.